It's been one month uh, to today that we've been living here in New Jersey. And in one month's time, we have gone through an earthquake, (laughs) a hurricane, and I have experienced more rain in 30 days than I did in 16 years in Las Vegas. I have more bug bites on my body than I've experienced in 16 years in Las Vegas. And I've been introduced to this new concept called state taxes. <laughs> Don't have those in Las Vegas at all. But it's been good. And uh, I can't believe uh, that uh, we're here. And I just want to say, say thank you to all of you and uh, just your um, welcoming spirits and so many of you have just sent us uh, notes or Facebook messages or just when we've seen you around and uh, bringing meals to us, helping us unpack boxes. And uh, truly, we truly do feel welcome here in the great state of New Jersey. And I woke up this morning and I realized that the house was 68 degrees, so I cranked up the heater because that's freezing from where we're from. I know, we're going to have a long, long winter. And I will complain for over the next about six months, so just get used to that, and, uh, but we're glad to be here. I started thinking about today, and what do I share, and, um, and the list was really long, and I figured that I had to shorten that list, because all of you want to go eat lunch here in about 30 minutes, so I'll, I shortened the list, and uh, started thinking through not only today, but this kind of first series, and I started thinking through just key foundational pieces that we, as a church, really need to own both personally, but also collectively. And so over the next five weeks, we're going to look at these five different kind of foundational pieces. Today, kind of the word is together, uh, but we're going to really look at kind of the DNA of what the church should be about, what the church, how God designed it to be. Next week, we're going to look at this word called love, and then the following week, grace, then trust, and then grow. And so I just want to challenge all of you, encourage all of you, at least commit to five weeks. Five weeks, five one-hour slots at the least. I know some of you, that's normal for you. For some of you, you're like, ah, that's four more than I was planning on coming. Uh, Think about it this way. It's one hour, and you get to have bagels and coffee. So treat it as breakfast, not church, okay? But wherever you're at, just five weeks. Give me five weeks as we kind of just build on this foundation on Renaissance Church. I had the opportunity to spend some time this week talking to uh, several people just about the history of Renaissance. And just for me, I, I just, uh, it's so fascinating, the story behind Renaissance and how it started and what God has been doing through so many lives. And so I, I just want to see how many of you here right now uh, were part of Renaissance at the Y, when it was mean at the Y, anyone? Okay. How many of you, uh, a couple? Uh, how many of you were part of it at Milburn High School? Okay, a few more hands. Now, how many of you started coming to Renaissance here at the Opera House? Raise your hand. Okay, keep your hands up. Keep your hands up, I know. But look around real fast. I'd say 80, 90% of the room. Me too. I just started coming. <laughs> Renaissance has impacted so many lives. And so uh, we wanted to do in a, a kind of a fun, creative way, uh, just kind of share with all of you the past 10 years, kind of an overview of how Renaissance started and where is that today, through the eyes of children. Ready for this? Take a look. 
long time ago, a long, long time ago, in the year 2000, a group of families decided to make a church. It was 2,000 years ago when, when mammals ruled the earth. It was the year 2000. Some families got together to make a church that they were comfortable inviting friends and family to. Were there at least giant spiders? They wanted to make plays fun for going with the kids. With sermons that were relevant and engaging. <laughs> In 2001, they hired my daddy, Steve Young, to be the director of Create Art. He's very arty. I met him. That was before I was born. Renaissance Church started meeting at the Summit YMCA, then the Milburn High School, and in 2002, Rich Tears was hired to be senior pastor. Was his hair white back then, too? I think that's the kind of white hair that you're just born with. In 2003, the church added a lot of church stuff, like a real children's program and lots of Bible studies and stuff. In 2003, electricity was invented. That was the year I was born, so it's cool. <laughs> in 2004, Renaissance moved to the Opera House. I was here, but I don't remember that. That's weird. I blame aliens and lasers for that. And not zombies. <laughs> <laughs> and vampires! Renaissance played a lot of rock music, which people loved. So the church grew a bunch. There are like a million people who go to Renaissance. It's famous. In 2008, Renaissance Church hired Clay Poor to be executive pastor. Ten years after it all started, we hired Chris Trethway to be senior pastor. He's from Las Vegas. My mom says it's inappropriate. Did your mom tell you why? Nope. My mom says it's inappropriate, too. Ten years is a long time. Renaissance has done a lot of stuff. Wow, ten years. That is twice as long as me. Very interesting. <laughs> I'm really excited. Uh, ten years from the first kind of official service, there's like multiple kind of launching dates um, from the first time the concept kind of just took hold to the why. But ten years from their first official church service, we're going to uh, celebrate that. It's going to be Easter of 2012. So I'm just looking ahead and just letting you know there's a lot to celebrate because God has done so much in the lives of, of all of you here uh, at Renaissance and how Renaissance has made such a dramatic impact in this community. But think about that. Eight people started Renaissance. Eight Eight people who came together and said, church must be different. Eight people that said, you know what? We have friends that need to know who God is. And we're not sure if we can bring them with us to church. And they literally said, we must get off the bench. We must go into action and we must do something about it. Because we see a day where we have a church where we can actually invite our friends to it. We see the day where church can be fun, church can be relevant, church can be engaging. Church can meet people exactly where they're at in life. Eight people said, we see a day. And their vision was succinct. Their resolve was absolute. 
And they committed everything to impacting the lives of their friends. And we all benefit because eight people decided to get off the bench and get in the game. What I know for all of us in this room, when we think of church, probably a lot of different thoughts come into our minds. Our history, our past, great experiences with church, and probably some pretty difficult experiences when it comes to church. The first time I came here, uh, I was blown away by the number of churches in this area. Amazing architecture, art, and building form. But then I was quickly told that most of those church buildings were basically empty. So when you think of church, what do you think of? Today, let's go back to the beginning. How God designed church to be. Because all of us in this room probably carry some baggage into this place when it comes to church. All of us have had bad experiences in church before. And so... Let's try to kind of unveil, reveal kind of what God designed the church to be originally. And we're going to look in the book of Acts chapter 2. And we're going to go through a few verses here. And it really does kind of give us a clear picture of what Renaissance is really about and what we're going to build on. Okay, In Acts chapter 2, it starts off like this. It says, all And let's stop with that one word, all. I promise you we'll get out uh, on time, so uh, we won't uh, spend this much time on the first word. All. What does that mean? I I know you're all sitting there going, okay, really, we're we're pretty smart. No, think about it. All. Not 99.9%. Not everyone except for. Not most, but all. Included everyone, all who. It says all the believers. Now, believers is one of those words, and let's unpack quickly because for you, you might hear that word and you kind of go, oh, it's that believer word. What believer means is this. All the people who put God number one in their lives. All the people who accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. All the people that literally said, you know what? Jesus is my Savior. I have accepted him. I don't have it all figured out. I'm not perfect. I I got issues in my life. I'm going to mess up. I'm going to fail. But God will be at the center of my life. All the believers, all those who put God number one in their lives, what did they do? They devoted. Now, devotion is one of those words. And again, for you, you might hear that word and several different thoughts might come up in your brain. What does devotion mean? Well, a week ago, I was a devoted Dallas Cowboys fan. Then the Jets beat them. And I think I'm not a devoted Cowboys fan anymore. So who should I root for? I don't know. I'm conflicted. The Jets or the Giants? Or should I just go to the Patriots? <laughs> I'm going to get tarred and feathered for that one, right? <laughs> You're like, oh, that's not funny. Right? 
Like, we're devoted to a lot of things. If you're into exercise, guess what? You're devoted to going to the gym, to running, to riding, whatever that might be. If you're into golf, you're devoted to golf. To your work, you're devoted to your work. You wake up early, you go to work. You don't just put in a day's work. You give it your all. You come home and you work more. You're devoted to it. To your kids, you're devoted to your kids. But what does it mean to be devoted when it comes to the church? What does that word mean? I started reading a little bit about it. And uh, in the original language in the Greek, this is what the word means. Gives oneself continually to something. There's this continuous motion to it. It's not just, you know, for an hour on Sunday morning. But there's a continuous motion that happens throughout your life. It goes on, it says, to give unremitting care. There's this personal attendant kind of side to it. And I'll share more about that in a little bit. But literally it says that you as an individual, are giving a personal attendant to the church. You're serving it. You're giving to it. You're looking for its needs. You're being proactive. You're there to serve. And then it goes on to say, to persevere and not to faint. I love that thought. When obstacles rise up in front of you, guess what you do? You push through it. When there's issues, you push through it. When it gets difficult, you push through it. You persevere. I was shared with uh, this week kind of the story, and it was the uh, first service at the, the Milburn High School, kind of the first official church service with sound and worship, band, and the whole thing. And uh, they realized as they were filling, filling the, uh, the trailers filled, filled with all the equipment, they realized that the vehicle they had couldn't pull the weight they couldn't get the trailers there. The Saturday before the launch service, you know what they did? They could have just thrown in the towel. They could have said, well, we haven't had it so far. Let's not have it Sunday. Right? They could have. They got together and said, how are we going to get this equipment there? What are we going to do? They went out and they found this old rickety suburban, and they uh, kind of called it Clifford the Big Red Dog. It wasn't shiny, it wasn't new, but it could pull the trailers. And when Clifford died, oh, they bought another one, and they named it the Green Hornet. As I heard the story this week, countless times they could have thrown in the towel. Countless times this group of people could have said, you know what, this, enough, no more. Man, we just want to do this to reach our friends. We just want to do this to make a dent in this, this area. We just want to do this because we felt God was calling us to. But this is too hard, too much. We have full-time jobs. We have families. We have kids. We have so much going on, and it's not worth it. How many times do you think they came to that point, and they said, ah, but they were devoted. Why? Because God had called them to be a part of something bigger. So all the Christ followers, all the believers devoted, gave their entire selves to, and now there's this list of things, to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. 
Now, I love this apostles' teaching thing because back then, some 2,000 years ago, they didn't have like these really nice leather-bound Bibles with these little like thingies in it, whatever these things are called, right? And they, they didn't have this. They didn't have the Gutenberg Press. So how they would write down history and poetry and the Bible by hand. There were countless copies. There's just several handfuls spread out all over the area. And so if you were a historian or if you were a teacher or if you're an, an expert, you'd go to a place that had manuscripts and you would memorize volumes word by word. In this information age, that we're in, do we really memorize anything anymore? Like, 10 years ago, how many phone numbers did you have memorized? I think I have one memorized now. It's my wife's. That's a good thing. I don't even have my parents' cell phones memorized. I don't need to. Flip open my iPhone, hit mom. Calls mom. Amazing technology. They memorize volumes and volumes and volumes. That's how they teach. So the apostles understood the Old Testament. That was kind of the volume back then. They understood those books. But not only did they teach from that, guess what they taught from? They walked, the apostles walked with Jesus. They heard him speak. They interacted with him. They asked him questions. And sometimes Jesus would answer those questions, and sometimes Jesus would answer the questions with another question and just confuse them. They witnessed his miracles. It wasn't secondhand, hey, did you see this happen? They were there. And so the apostles were teaching them about Jesus, what Jesus taught, what he was about, his mission, how he healed, how he started to shift culture because they were there. And all the believers devoted themselves to learning more about who God was. This is our roadmap. It has to be. Oh, there's some areas in here that I really, really get. And now, then you kind of bump up against one of those verses or chapters and it just kind of makes your head spin, Right? We have to devote ourselves to this. It tells us who God is and what he desires from us. And to fellowship. They did life together. It's one of the most powerful pieces of the church. It's a great thing. Think about your relationship world. How many people you've really gotten to know through Renaissance? You know, maybe you're here for the first time. You're like, no, really, Chris, I know no one. I understand. But you start doing life together. And when life gets bad, you have someone that you can call. And it says, and they ate together. Isn't that a central part of fellowship? Hanging out, spending life together, eating, right? It's always, hey, what do you want to do? I don't know, where do you want to eat? And then they talked about the Lord's Supper. And if you come to Vespers on October 2nd, we have our next Vespers, you'll learn a lot more about what communion is. But all communion basically is, is about remembering. Remember what Christ did for us. 
dying on the cross and his blood spilling to cover our sins. And then to prayer. In Philippians chapter 4, it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. In every situation, we are to pray. When life is good, pray. When life gets difficult, pray. When things get really confusing, pray. When God blesses you in incredible ways, pray. Over the past 18 months for me, I've been on my own journey as I've really since God create this discontentment within me where I really just knew that God was leading me from an amazing 16 years in Las Vegas at an amazing church. And God was saying, Chris, your time's done. And it didn't make sense. It, it, just, it just didn't make sense. But when God starts moving in your life, what I've learned is go with him. Because he will prevail. He's pretty persistent. And I discovered this verse. It's a really simple verse. It's in uh, Jeremiah chapter 42. And it became my 18-month prayer to God. And it simply said, just, God, show me where to go and what to do. Show me where to go and what to do. And it became my prayer. When things were really getting really excited, exciting about my journey, guess what I said to God? Okay, this sounds really cool, but show me where to go and what to do. When I had some really deep, dark nights, where I just wanted to throw in the towel, where I just wanted to say, I give up, no more. Guess what I prayed? God, show me where to go and what to do. When my wife first brought me this website, and it's Renaissance Church in New Jersey, and all I knew about New Jersey was Newark Airport. God, show me where to go and what to do. I've prayed that prayer countless times, because what I know, my life is in his hands. And when you place your, your life in the hands of God, it is perfect. And so I pray that prayer over and over and over and over again. And then it goes on in verse 43. It says, a deep sense of awe came over all of them. And all the power... All the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. That word awe kind of captivated me because I've always thought that word awe meant kind of like this warm and fuzzy feeling. Like the first time you hold that nice little puppy and it has like puppy breath, right? But then puppies grow up to be dogs. But you know, they're cute and you're like, oh, it's so cute. It's a puppy. Or the first time you witnessed you know, the birth, birth of your first child, right? That's awe. I mean, disgusting, but like awe, right? You're like, man, life just happened that way. Like, right? Awe. But that word throughout the New Testament is translated fear or intimidation. A little different than awe, isn't it? A deep sense of fear came over them. A deep sense of intimidation came over them. In Luke chapter 1, Zechariah um, is hanging out, and an angel appears to him to tell him that his wife's pregnant, which is really cool news, unless it's oops, right? But it's really good news, right? But an angel comes, and this is what the angel says. Uh, the angel comes, tells him that, that uh, his wife was 
was pregnant, and Zachariah said these words. He was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. He was shaken and overwhelmed with fear. There's another cool story where Jesus literally uh, raised from the dead this widow's son. Could you imagine that moment? And Luke 7 says, Great fear swept the crowd, and they praised God. So we go back to Acts chapter 2, verse 43. The sense of awe, the sense of fear, the sense of intimidation. You know what it was? They realize they're in the moment being part of something bigger than them, that God was up to something huge. And on one side, they were like really excited, like, wow, something's happening here. We get to be a part of it. Then they realized that the thing they were part of was of God. It was of God. And they realized that God was going to expect a ton from them. And they were going to have to persevere and overcome and give all of themselves to be devoted to the church, God's vehicle for the hope of the world. And all the believers met together in one place and they shared everything they had. They sold their property and all the possessions and and shared uh, the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in the homes of the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God, enjoying the goodwill of all the people. We could spend a ton of time just in those few verses. Basically, they were a generous church. They gave out of a generous heart. So many times we think church is about us, what I want, what I need, what I came here for. But you realize the church wasn't a selfish entity. It was all about outward focus, focusness. It was all about other people and what they needed and what had to happen for them. But there's a word in here. The word was worship. They worship together, right? And probably when I say the word worship, where does your mind go? They had a nice little worship band, and Steve's on the keyboards, and great guitar players, and right? They worship. They sang. That word worship is the same word as devoted. Same word. Same word. Think back to the definition of devotion. That personal assistant connotation. They were there to serve God. God only. They were there to give their lives to God and God only. They were there to do what God had called them to do and to become what God had called them to become. Again, so many times churches turn inward and it's about what God does for you, what you need from God, what you want to feel from God. And so you walk in saying, okay, God, do something in me. And what God is saying is, no, you serve me. You love me. The church has to be about 
him. It has to be outward, others focused. It cannot remain to be a selfish entity, a selfish organization. It can't. And the church exploded on the scenes because people realized it wasn't about their needs, their wants, their desires. It was all about God. And this is my favorite part. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Every day, God added to their numbers those who put God number one in their lives. Every day, Lives were being transformed and changed because of the church. I know for some of you, some of you might be thinking, like, really? That many people came? That many people were part of the church? That many people had their lives radically shifted? Yes. It's what happens when people devote their lives to God. It's catalytic. It's contagious. Last year at Central Christian Church in Las Vegas. These are just the people we know about. Last year, 2010, we averaged 17.5 people a day accepting Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Want to do some quick math? I did it for you. 6,387.5. I'm not sure what to do with 0.5. A half a person? Catholic movement, because people are committed to sharing what God's doing in them with other people. So this is what I'm going to ask from from all of you. Two simple things. Not a lot, but two simple things this week. Number one is this. Crank up your devotion dial one notch. If you come to church once a week, or once a week, once a month, Once a week's great. Do that. (laughs) Once a month. Come twice. If you come once a week, what else do you need to do in your spiritual life? We have great spiritual formation groups throughout the week. I challenge all of you, if you're looking for that next step to crank your devotion dial, uh, during this service, 1015 service, right behind us is a study through Romans. It'll make your head spin. It's a great study. Wednesday nights, we have a men's group. Uh, Just started last week. Come, check that out this Wednesday. Thursday night, we have a men's, women's group together. uh, Thursday evenings, Thursdays during the days, we have a mom's group and women's group. Crank that dial. Whatever it is for you, wherever you're at spiritually, crank that dial. And the last one is this, this week. I want you to think of one person that you know, that you have a relationship with. that doesn't have a relationship with God. Or maybe they've walked away from the church because the church did what the church does so many times and they repel people. But you know they need to be part of the life here at Renaissance. I just want you to start praying for them. In the subway, pray. Going up the elevator, pray. On the train, pray. Sitting in a boardroom, and your mind starts going places, pray. Not out loud, that'd be awkward. (laughs) Find seconds in your day to start praying by name for one person that needs to be part of Renaissance. 
God's looking for a group of devoted people to be part of a catalytic movement that changes the face of this community. And we get to be a part of it. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you for today. Lord, I pray that as we navigate this thing together, that, Lord, uh, you'll use us in all that we are, in all that we have uh, been created to be, that, Lord, you'll use us in perfect people to help connect people with you. Because life with you is so much better than life without you. So, Lord, I just pray that uh, this week we will all together crank our devotion dial just one more notch as we serve you. In your name I pray.